0: Well, good morning, church. How we doing? As Dave just mentioned, we are starting a new series this morning. And we're calling it Sharing Jesus. And so if it hasn't fallen out already, you should find a postcard inside your bulletin. And again, this series, Sharing Jesus, a series on sharing our faith And like usual, there's a roadmap on the back that kind of maps out for you where we're going over these next couple of weeks. And if I can be honest with you, I was going to save this series of conversations for later this year. Our leadership board will later this year be wrestling through the vision point that we call missionary identity. As we look to to make real, to make tangible for us, what's it look like for our church, MBIC, to live out that vision point? And that vision point reads, it's on the screen in front of you, but it reads, we encourage and equip our MBIC family in their, their missionary identities. If we are to be the church beyond our four walls, then relationships and community and serving those around us must be constant drivers for us. For this reason, we encourage and equip our people, that's you, that's me, to courageously reach beyond themselves and to show God's love wherever God might place them. And that vision point is a direct downrange application coming out of of our church's mission which is to initiate and nurture a growing relationship with Christ. And sharing our faith, sharing our Jesus is that initiate piece. And our mission statement is a direct application coming out of the great commission that Jesus gives to us coming out of Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So realize that these are Christ's last words to us Jesus could have said anything but the thing that he chooses to say to you and to I is to go and make followers of me those who will come to me and follow my call on their lives those who will come who will surrender who will come and die and in so doing in that death, find new life. And so the flow for us is simply this, that Matthew 28, which is our mandate, drives our church's mission, which drives all of our vision points, but specifically this missionary identity vision point. And so I was gonna save this series of conversations for later on in the year, but as we turn the corner into 2016, even before that, I, I was reading, and I don't even know exactly when, and I was reading in the Psalms as I, as I made my way through the Psalms last year, and I'm circling back and going back in the Psalms this year, but on one of those days as I was reading, a word in one of the Psalms jumped out at me, and that word was flourish. And God impressed upon me that we need to have this conversation on sharing our faith now. Because because God wants to see us as a church. He wants to see MBIC flourish. But our, our flourishing or the extent of our flourishing will come as we step into, as we chase hard after Christ's mission for us which is to say that if we pursue the wrong things we can't expect to flourish but as we pursue the right things that sets us up to flourish and there is no more right a thing and I don't even know if that's correct English but that's how I'm going to say it there is no more right a thing for us than to pursue our most basic mandate which is the great commission which is sharing Jesus, which is being bold about us courageously sharing with those that God puts in our, our lives about the new life that we found and available to all in Christ. Now, if you've done this church thing for any amount of time, nothing I just said just blew your mind, right? This is not new information for us. But in a room this size, with as many people sitting in this room, when it comes to sharing our faith, our experiences in that, our feelings towards that are all over the map. And so I've got a slide for us, right? So so for me, the idea of sharing Jesus makes me feel excited by the opportunity, scares the daylights out of me, is just this strange kind of thing. You might say, man, I'd love to share my faith, but, but I don't know what to say. Or maybe you know what to say, but you don't know how to say it. And on my original, there's even a blank at the bottom, which is realizing that this is not a comprehensive list. That maybe there's a descriptor that I miss that you would say, "Hey, when it comes to sharing Jesus, that makes me feel like, and it's something that I didn't capture here. But what this list does give us is that if you sit down and have a conversation, the most common responses that you get when it comes to sharing our faith, fall on this list. And so I'm not going to ask you to answer this question out loud but I am gonna ask you to answer this question. So for you personally, when it comes to sharing your faith, how does that make you feel? Maybe it's a combination of these. But I want you to answer the question, how does that make you feel? What has been your experience in sharing your faith? Or if we grab one of these, you might say, Brian, okay, when it comes to sharing my faith, that's kind of a scary thing. And if I could sit down with you and explore, so why, why does it feel scary? I think we would come to that in the church, we've made sharing Jesus more about saying the right things than us listening for the right things. We've made sharing Jesus more about telling than us listening. We've made sharing Jesus more about having, having a canned answer, a canned presentation, Right, more about that than, than listening well and asking really good questions to show how, how Jesus is the answer to that person's struggles. We've made sharing Jesus more about rolling up on people instead of allowing Christ to lead people to you who are truly interested in knowing the good news of Christ. And so this series on sharing Jesus is going to come at this this idea of evangelism. That can be a scary word for us, but going to come at this idea of evangelism from a very different perspective. Evangelism as thoughtful conversation. Evangelism as being watchful, being, being attentive, making yourself available to those that are around you. Evangelism as getting your hands dirty, getting involved in the lives of the people around you, helping people connect the good news of Christ to the bad news that I guarantee you that they're experiencing in their own lives. Evangelism as being honest with your own questions, your own doubts, your own struggles, and how Jesus is making himself real to you in the face of those questions and doubts and struggles. And so it's, it's my prayer that through this series that we go from seeing evangelism as a scary thing to, to man, I can do this, and boy, is it a lot of fun. So over these next couple of weeks, we're gonna use, for those of us that are up here leading these conversations on a Sunday morning, we're gonna use the book Get Real as a primary resource. And I've actually brought you pieces of this book before. And I love this book. And the reason that I love this book is because it is written by a guy who was a missionary to France and who realizes that what he is called to do as someone overseas is no different from the thing that you and I are called to do here in Mannheim or in Lidditz or in East Peat or in Lebanon or wherever you're from that we're called to do exactly the same thing that a missionary does who's living across the ocean, and that is to to, to get involved in people's lives through relationship. And this book, Get Real, as a resource, is probably the most gospel-centric, which means it is is the, the most... Out of all the books on evangelism that I've seen in print, it is the book that focuses most not on what we're supposed to do, but on what Christ has done for us. The most focused on, on the idea of, of being missional and being relational. And so we're, we're excited to, to bring this series to you. With our first couple of weeks being all about God's grace, that's the thing that compels us to share our faith in the first place. That, that allows us then to, as we get later into the series in the next couple of weeks, the weeks on the back half of the series where we get into the nuts and bolts of sharing your faith and how that very same grace that compels us to share our faith really does become the touch point in our interactions with others to share God's grace and that healing. And so that's where we're going to start this morning. It's all about grace. That is simply our big idea for the morning. And to go there, I'm going to grab a quote from this book. The book is written by John Leonard, and John Leonard says... The Christian life is lived from beginning to end by grace. If we are going to share this message with others, we must know it for ourselves. And so to drive this point home, I'm going to take us to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 19 to see how Jesus drives this point home. And and as we read these four different interactions, and it's a lot of text, right? I'll give you that. But as we read these four different stories that we're about to see, I need your help. Do you guys remember that Sesame Street game, one of these things is not like the other? Right? I would sing that for you, but you're like, Brian, I recognize the words, but not the tune. So I'm not even going to sing it, because I cannot sing. But as we read these four stories together, your job is to figure out which one of these stories is not like the other's. And then why is it not like the others? And so to figure that out, I'm going to give you a hint. Be asking yourself, how do these people come to Jesus? Where does their dependency lie? Where does their trust lie? Story number one, Luke chapter 18, verse 15. One day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these little children. I tell you the truth anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So, how do little kids come? They come full of need. They come messy. They don't bring any resources. They don't bring anything to offer. They simply come as they are. They come needy. They come helpless. Story two. This time, Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Story number three. Luke 18, this time verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. I love that. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Story 4, Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to, the, to, to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So, if we play the game, right, which of these things is not like the other? So, out of these four stories, which of these stories is not like the other? Let me ask it this way Who gets Jesus? Who doesn't get a relationship with Jesus? How would you answer that? The rich guy, right? The religious leader. See, there's a reason that Luke has crammed, has, has crammed these four stories virtually back to back to back to back Here in Luke 18 and 19, Luke is telling us that it is the ones who are in need. It is the ones who are helpless. It is the ones who come messy. They are the ones who get Jesus. Kids are helpless. Kids are messy. They are full of need. Jesus calls after them. The blind beggar, because he physically can't see, he cannot get himself to Jesus. And and the crowd tries to shut him up, and Jesus comes to him. Zacchaeus is short. He can't see through the crowd. And because he's chosen to collaborate as a tax collector with the Romans... Because he's a cheat, he is hated, he is an outcast. So there is nobody that's gonna create space for Zacchaeus to make his way through the crowd. If they try to, I guarantee you, they're gonna elbow him in the face. Zacchaeus can't get to Jesus, yet Jesus comes to him. It is only the religious leader who misses out on an aha moment with Christ. And Jesus leads that religious leader to that aha moment. The religious leader is asking good questions and he's asking the right person, but his focus is on himself. His focus is on what he can do. The the, the religious leader is not able to see his helplessness. And Jesus leads him in this conversation to help him see his need. When Jesus says, only God is truly good, the point is, is that if only God is good, then the religious leader and you and I, we are not good. As a matter of fact, we we are bad, we are evil, because our hearts, everything that we are, have been stained by sin. We are a people in need. We are helpless. We need a savior. Jesus then goes over the, the religious leader's resume. And the religious leader says, listen, I've been doing all that stuff. I've been following the rules my entire life. But even the religious leader knows that there has to be something more than, than, than following rules and, and checking boxes. He knows deep inside his gut that there has to be something more. And that's why he's asking the question, how do I find eternal life? But to find that something more, you have got to come to the end of yourself. And this is where Jesus takes the religious leader. Jesus, as the knower of the human heart, knows that this guy has placed his trust in his bank account. And Jesus, in this interaction, is slowly turning up the heat. He's slowly raising the bar to help this guy see his helplessness. That his reliance cannot be on what he does cannot be on his religious track record, cannot be on his riches, that despite those things, that this religious leader is is just as helpless, is just as needy as those kids are, as that blind beggar is, as Zacchaeus is, And so Jesus is bringing this religious leader to a crossroads so that he can admit his need, admit his surrender, so that he can experience the grace and mercy of Christ or he can walk away. And the religious leader walks away. It's only those who have to rely on God's grace and mercy. Those are the ones that get God's grace and mercy. The reality is that every single one of us have to rely on on, on God's grace and mercy. This is the thing that the religious leader in this story cannot see. All of us have to rely on on God's grace, his one-way love and his mercy made available to us through Christ. Because in the face of the problem of sin... That sin problem stains every one of our hearts. You are truly helpless. Sin is a problem that you cannot solve, a problem that you cannot work your way out of, a problem that no matter your track record, no matter your resume, no matter your list of good deeds, the problem of a sin-stained heart is one that you cannot solve because it's a problem that demands a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that you cannot make. That's why Jesus, right after the story of the religious leader in Luke 18, we see in verse 31, it says, Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem, where, where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with the whip and kill him, but on the third day he will rise again. And so to come full circle, when it comes to sharing Jesus, if we go back to that quote, the Christian life is lived from beginning to end by grace. If we are are going to share the message with others, we must know it ourselves. If, if you're a believer, that means that you have come to that point in your life where you've seen your need for grace, you've seen your need for mercy, you've realized your helplessness because of your sin problem, a sin problem that separates us from God, that is the problem. That one day every single one of us will, will stand before an absolutely holy God who stands himself in, 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 a, in a white-hot purity of righteousness, who is the almighty sovereign king of the universe, whose, whose power, whose person we can't even begin to understand, and sinners before an almighty God, that is the definition of helplessness. And we were powerless to do anything to save ourselves, but this holy God opened up a way that you and I might be in a restored relationship with him through his only son who sacrificed his life because it was the Father's will. It was the Father's idea, not our idea. We bailed, we ran, and he chased us down. He chased us down in love. As believers, we were helpless. We were powerless. We were doomed, but not anymore. And it's all because of Jesus, all because of God's grace, all because of God's one way love for you. And it's this grace, it's this mercy, it's this joy that we just finished talking about in the book of Philippians, it's this forgiveness it's this freedom, it's this new life that is yours if you're a believer and if you're not a believer and you're here this morning, those things are available to you right now. Those things make what we have, the fact that we are in a relationship with the creator king of the universe makes the good news in fact the greatest news. But there's a danger for us in church. And I think we often delude ourselves. We are quick to say, come just as you are. We even sing the song, just as I am. But then once someone steps into a relationship with Christ, there can be a pressure. Sometimes it is a subtle pressure and sometimes it is a not so subtle pressure that okay, now that you've made that decision, you need to get yourself cleaned up real quick. And if we're not careful, our focus goes from our need, our helplessness, our dependence, just like in the story of those kids, just like in the story of the blind beggar, just like in the story of Zacchaeus. Our focus shifts from our need to what we must do, just like in the story of the religious leader. And in that shift of focus, which is a shift of focus off of Jesus and onto us because because there's a danger there and the danger is that in this life you will never outgrow your need for grace. You will never outgrow your need for mercy that is yours in Jesus. And your ability to see that, your ability to see your need when it comes to, to sharing your faith, when it comes to sharing Jesus, that's everything because you cannot share something that you do not have. You cannot share something that you do not know. You cannot share something that is not being experienced in your life. And so as a believer, you have a story of how you first experience God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's mercy. But to go further and just as powerful in terms of sharing Jesus, your, your experience of God's grace and mercy in your life right now, that is incredibly powerful. That you experience God's grace, God's mercy, as you face the fallout of living in a fallen world where everything is broken. That's why we live in a world of hurricanes and cancer and bills that we can't pay your experience of God's grace and mercy towards you and your failings as a parent, your failings as a kid, in in the battle against the ongoing sin in your life, your experience of God's grace and mercy toward you and the mistakes that you've made in your career, in your marriage, in your family, your experience of God's grace and mercy in the middle of the monotony and the humdrum of everyday life. And we could go on and on with this list. But to know that God continues to meet us despite our struggles, despite our questions, despite our doubts, with his one-way love, his grace, his mercy, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is even right now in the process of chiseling away at you and remaking you into the image of his son. That despite our many, many failings, the failings of yesterday, the failings of today, Sunday, February 26th, the failings that you will make tomorrow, despite our not deserving, that God so vastly, so richly loves you, so beyond our comprehension, that that salvation, his love, is so freely gifted to us, this is the thing that sets Christianity apart from all other belief options out there. That while we can't climb the stairs of religion, Jesus climbed the stairs down to us. This is the greatest news that the world has ever heard. And this greatest of news is your invitation to to right now jump into the greatest of stories. A story that is playing out at this moment. A story of life, a story of death. The story of of, of the greatest battle between the forces of absolute good and evil. A story where the eternal destinies of millions are at stake. A story where the destinies of your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, the people that you you meet wherever your life takes you, that their souls are at stake. So my question for us this morning is, will you step into that story? Will you share your Jesus with the hurting, dying world around you? Because my hope for us as a church My hope for you, my prayer for you is that you answer that question with a yes. And that's where we're gonna push us as a church family to see your part in sharing the story. Your part in sharing Jesus in a very loving, a very grace-filled way to those that God puts into your life. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning as we start this conversation on sharing the salvation that's available to us because of, of what you accomplished through Christ on the cross. The new life that is available there, the, the, the greatest of news. May we even start now to be bold, to be courageous, to be attentive to how we can connect the good news to the struggles in the lives of those around us. That we can openly share how we too struggle, but we are finding how you are the answer. And so we claim the promise, Matthew twenty eight twenty, that we can know that as we step into the story, as we share Jesus, that we can know that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.